I'm calling this word today, the devil and the detail. There's a lot of speculation and attributing of blame concerning how the coronavirus came into being. Was it made in a laboratory? And if so, where? Or was it transmitted by a bat or some other animal? Some people may even ask whether it was sent by God. And if so, why? Others may believe that it was sent by the devil. In my humble opinion, which I think I share with many others, the jury is still out on the laboratory and or the bat and the exact whereabouts of the bat and the lab. And I don't think it was sent by the devil. But I think he is having an eventful and busy time with it. Let's talk about God's creation. Ultimately, the virus is simply part of God's creation. Along with other viruses and bacteria and microbes and plants and animals and people. These are now all part of a disordered, fallen creation that fell when man and woman fell in the Garden of Eden. The creation was put out of order and into corruption through the sin of Adam and Eve. And after that happened, God said to Adam, The ground is cursed because of you. It shall bring forth thorns and thistles. And I suppose, I suppose a lot of other ugly things that weren't mentioned. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible also says that people walk on in darkness and all the foundations of the earth have been put out of alignment. That's in Psalm 82, verse 5. That follows the fact that humanity is out of alignment with God and because of sin, we do harm to ourselves and others and bring disorder into our world. But the Bible also says that this curse on the earth will only last for a limited time when God's plan of redemption is finished in the earth and the Lord returns and we are given new bodies at the resurrection of the dead. In Romans 8 verse 19 it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That word revealing is apocalypsis, a manifestation of the finished work of God with creation, with us in creation. And goes on to say, the creation waits with hope to be set free from the bondage of corruption and that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, which it says also in Isaiah 66, a new heavens and a new earth and in Second Peter chapter 3, and in the book of Revelation chapter 21. But look at Jesus now in a fallen world. The fact is that when Jesus arrived on this planet, became one of us, born in the flesh, he lived his life in a fallen world in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. He knew he was not in control of the corruption that was going on around him politically and religiously. But he also knew that his father was in command of everything. And the things were going according to his father's plan. Jesus did only what his father told him. 
If his father told him to still a raging storm, it would happen. On the other hand, when Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus didn't resist that claim, but simply said to him, You'd have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. God was in control and he had a purpose for everything and in everything that was going to happen. Jesus did not come to reform the politics of the day. He came to transform lives. So this current global pandemic was always going to happen within the purpose and plan of God. And there are times of trial. We're living in times of great physical and emotional and spiritual trial in the current global pandemic, in which there is an enormous amount of strain being placed upon nations, governments, communities, corporations, churches, families and individuals. The physical and emotional pressure that everybody is under is out in the open for all to see and to be read about and talked about everywhere. But there is a spiritual activity of both darkness and light that all nations and all individuals at this present time are under in the unseen world of the spirit. And that sits invisibly above everything else, ultimately influencing the feelings, the thinking and the behaviour of people in a far broader spiritual dimension than anyone could imagine. It is the reality of the battle between light and darkness. The opposing spirits of darkness and light are both powerfully at work in this hour. The Bible tells us that in intense conflict between darkness and light, God says to his people that his spirit is far more powerful than the spirit of this world. He says to us, Arise and shine, for your light has come. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light. That's in Isaiah 60, verse 1. The powers of darkness. I want to look first at the purpose and strategy of the power of the work of darkness. The purpose and strategy and the activity of darkness lurks behind the different names that darkness is known by. Names such as the devil and Satan and Lucifer and the God of this world, and the Prince of the Power of the Air, and a number of other nasty titles like Abaddon, Beelzebub, etc. All those different names that are used for the powers of darkness also portray a range of different job descriptions or job details that can be found in those scriptural titles. The devil, diabolos in the Greek, to throw or let go of a thing without caring where it falls, 
to fragment and scatter to create division. Satan, Satanas in the Greek, which means the accuser and the adversary, to bring about vengeance and hostility amongst people in judging one another and penalising one another. Lucifer, the fallen light giver who became the dark giver, who said he would be as the most high God, said that in Isaiah 14. And as the God of this world, he blinds the minds of those who do not believe. That's in Second Corinthians chapter 4. And there's the prince of the power of the air who tempts the sons of disobedience to live for their own desires. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's have a look at the detail of Diabolos, the devil. Most of those dark spiritual activities found in the meanings of the names overlap in some way, the ones that I read before. They have features such as lying and tempting and accusing. But I'd like to feature the detail of the name of the devil, Diabolos, today. To throw a thing, to fragment and scatter, to create division. Diabolos comes from two Greek words, dia, which means through or by, and bolos which means to throw. The word bolos is where we get the word ball from, like throwing a ball. It is also where we get the word ballistic from, as in ballistic missile. So we have the picture of the devil hurling destructive spiritual missiles at us to break and fragment our relationship with God and with one another and within our own souls. Diabolos doesn't care what he throws as long as it destroys oneness with God and peace with one another. Diabolos and Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So with Jesus, darkness came at him as the devil, the missile thrower. And he threw every missile he had at Jesus to tempt him to split off from his father and to show how powerful he could be independent of him. The devil even subtly taunted him with, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now what a victory for the devil if Jesus would have fallen for that and not remained faithful as the Son of God, the obedient Son. Jesus didn't do anything unless his Father told him. So Jesus was able to hold things together in his heart of faith and truth and love between himself and his Father. He was integrated with his Father and he was not going to be disintegrated. The disintegration of relationships is being hurled at humanity during this time of trial like never before. Jesus prophesied of times like this that would come. He said nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and many 
would fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets would arise and lead many astray. And lawlessness would increase. And the love of many would grow cold. That's in Matthew chapter 24. So when we look at the kind of behaviour going on all over the world at the moment, there is a heightened activity of people accusing one another and violent disagreement over ideologies and medical and lifestyle and political opinions. All of this gets more heightened by the sensationalism of the media and the weird conspiracy theories broadcasted over social media. And it is difficult for people to remain objective in times like this. Because we often don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. But we can still discuss and debate without aggression and antagonism. The turning point. Light and power. God does not want us as his church family in the earth to live in the shadow and darkness of self-opinionated hostility, as so many are doing in this world, because it is the devil's work, diabolos, to throw missiles of destruction that scatter and create hostility and division about opinions and dogmas and ideologies. That has always caused the church to lose its real power, to be a light to the world and to bring God's healing and the transformation of lives, which is what I believe God wants to do in these days, right now. It is the work of the Spirit in us to make us one with God and with one another and to transform lives and to be his healing light in the world and his light of truth. God's light in his people can overcome darkness in these days. There is a swirl of redemptive God activity around you when your light is defeating the darkness in someone else. We wait with the one who knows all things in the midst of an age full of unknowns and opposing views. God is at work in and through us by his spirit in ways beyond our understanding as he reveals truth, his way, to the hearts of men and women everywhere through our faithful trust in him. Jesus taught against antagonism and hostility to those who were different to us, ethnically and culturally and socially and politically. He taught us about who was our neighbour in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He taught us to love our enemies in Matthew chapter 5. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That is a principle of the cross. Dying to things like division amongst ourselves as his family and dying to hostility to others who do not know God and growing in our faith and trust in God as our Father in heaven. We know what and who we have faith in 
And we know what faith is when we can name the one in whom we have absolute trust. I am grateful to the Lord for the times when I have found grace to have absolute trust in God in a matter and to see his goodness come to pass beyond what I would have asked or thought because I believe in this truth of surrender and in his faithfulness. And yet there are so many times when I think I have absolute trust in him and I find that residue of anxiety still there in my soul. And all I can say is that merciful verse in Mark 9, verse 23, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he remains faithful and we learn to trust even more. Jesus had absolute trust in his Father and he died and came alive again in order to live within us by the Holy Spirit and to impart into our hearts that same absolute trust in the nature of God. True transformation means that we sometimes have to pay the price of dying to self by not having our opinion agreed with or by losing a debate about what civil duty means or by forgiving someone who judges us unjustly. We stay on the journey of dying to ill will between ourselves and others and coming alive in absolute trust in God's love to bring peace and goodwill out of division and chaos. This can be how light comes into darkness and powerfully results in someone finding truth. While we face the uncertainty of events in this world, which is God's appointed way for us at this time in history, we put all fear aside as we live with the certainty of being led and guided by the peace of God in his world of the unseen, the world of faith and hope that is energised by his love to us and through us. In Philippians chapter 2, and verse 1, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Shining as lights means having God on display in our lives. Not in a pious or religious way, but by simply living in the flow of the powerful love of God. I want to finish with this beautiful scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, bless. For you were called to this, that you may also obtain a blessing. And the Lord bless you all. Amen.